Man, I'm excited to see you. I want to invite you, if you will, to turn with me in a Bible to Acts chapter 11. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. And uh, if you don't maybe have a Bible with you or you don't have a portable device um, and you would like a Bible, if you would just raise your hand. My friend Mark is going to Uh, My friend Mark is going to pass around some Bibles, and so if you don't have one, please just raise your hand. He'll hand you one. Um, And in addition to that, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't possess one, uh, please take that as our gift to you. Um, That is something we we want to give to you, and as always, uh, we we want you to follow along with God's Word. Uh, Hopefully you won't hear my words spoken today, but instead we really believe in this mysterious, miraculous way that God's words might be spoken when we open His Bible and, and we dig into it. And so um, that's a way to follow along, and as, we, uh, as we've joked for the last uh, couple of weeks, um, it's also a way to protect you from my opinions, so that the next passage we dig into is, is, is simply the next place that, that God speaks in Scripture, and so that as I'm expounding on the text, if I say something ridiculous or dumb, uh, for example, again, no offense to, uh, I apparently might have, might have offended some Green Bay Packers fans a couple weeks ago, um, I didn't know they existed, um, and if they do, I have to tell you I'm sorry and act like I feel bad about it. But if you have a Bible in front of you and something like that comes out of your, my mouth, you can go, well, that's just him being silly. That's not really God speaking, right? Even though I'm praying and I think it might be, it might be in there somewhere that you shouldn't be a Green Bay Packers fan. Um, but, but there's a way that you can protect yourself from stupid things like that if I say them. It's not that stupid, actually. Uh, but if you have a Bible, you can kind of protect yourself from it. And so we, we want to dig into God's Word and learn from it and have God speak to us together. And so it, it protects you from, I just have a lot of angst because I've yelled for teams my whole life that are terrible. And so uh, why, why do we get Tony Romo and they get Aaron Rodgers? That's what I want to know. That's all I want to know. Somebody answer that. Dear Jesus. So we're in Acts chapter 11 and we're going to begin in verse 19 and we're going to try to pick up where we left off, where we've been walking through this past couple of months. And so very simply, if you were to look at the table of contents in your Bible, you'll see an order in the New Testament. There's this section of books called the Gospels. That is the good news of Jesus. And they're named after the authors of the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they want you to know the good news of who Jesus is, what he has accomplished on our behalf. And they want, to know, they want you to know the good news of what he taught and what he was able to do. They want you to know the good news of what Jesus demonstrated by his power And ultimately, the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for us that we could never accomplish for ourselves. That is to set us right with God. And immediately following this good news of who Jesus is and what He's done is this book called Acts. And it's literally the actions of the apostles. And so as we've been digging through the last couple of weeks, we've been really looking at what it looks like to see the gospel in action. To see this good news of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in action amongst people. And the reason we want to do that is very simple. We are, man, we're a brand new church. We're a group of people, just like a baby coming out of the womb. Um, And and we want more than anything to be very, very careful about the steps we take at this critical stage. And if we're going to be loyal to something, it had better be the good news of Jesus. And if we're going to imitate someone, it had better be the first followers that seemed to have something figured out because they got to walk with Jesus himself. And so we're looking through this book, seeing some of the things that we can imitate because we have the gifts and ability to do that. But there's some things that the apostles, the first disciples and followers of Jesus, that 12 group of people that started this movement we call Christianity, we can't imitate some of those things. They've got powers and gifts that that came from walking right with Jesus that that we don't have. And so in those places where maybe we can't walk in those footsteps, we, we want to the best we can emulate them and learn from those lessons they teach. 
And so in this particular passage, we're at a turning point. Up to this point, only this religious group called the Jews have been hearing this good news of Jesus, and, and only this religious group who followed this religious order have been believing in Jesus. But then something crazy happened in chapter 10, and you'll hear me refer to it. Hopefully it sticks in your mind this way. Chapter 10, you remember? It's the bacon chapter. Yeah. And uh, it's especially cool because now as Christians, we don't have to follow these dietary restrictions. We can eat things like bacon. Praise Jesus. But it's really awesome because that chapter is not about just food, is it? That chapter is about if something unclean like a pig can by God's grace be made clean and something so appealing like bacon, then there's a lesson we learn about God's goodness through Jesus that if God can make an unclean pig rolling in his you-know-what righteous, then amazing things can happen for you and I that God can declare you and I by the power of Jesus righteous. And if God can look in that wallowing pig, then He can look at you and I wallowing in our own rebellion and sin and make us righteous by Jesus Christ. It's a bacon chapter, but it's something bigger. And so now now there's this response to this good news being reached out outside of the people who follow this religious order. So that God, through Jesus Christ, is not only declaring people who follow a certain set of rules righteous, but God is declaring righteous people who are even far off and rebelling against Him. People who don't follow this order that this Jewish group of people have been following, even they are recipients of this good news. And it's incredibly good for you and me. I don't know what nationality your ancestors hail from, um, but I'm a mutt from all over place, all over the place, right? I've I've got some some German German just tall just to make me tall enough to be uncomfortable on an airplane, right? But enough Scotch Irish to where I don't tan like handsome people, right? And so I'm a mutt, and this is really good news for people like me. I don't have an ancestry that I can go, yeah, that's me. Those are my people. I don't have that. My name and my my ancestry has been cha- it's been changed a whole lot, and and you look up the kind of the public record on 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 my ancestors there's a lot of them that spent some time in jail and good news for me that god's grace is not something that simply passed down this pure lineage to you and to me god's grace is abundant for people like me who don't deserve it who haven't been born into that kind of a family but instead by god's grace jesus came to seek and save that was lost people like me especially So here we are at this turning point where now this amazing good news of Jesus that up to this point has really followed the lines of this group of Jews, now all of a sudden it breaks in to a new group of people. Thankfully, all the way down to you and to me even this morning. So I want to begin to read God's Word in verse 19. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Then we're going to dig into it and see what there is for us. So in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word, get this, to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that is, Greek-speaking people, Hellenists also. And they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he, that is Barnabas, was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus 
in order to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples, the followers, were first called Christians. Verse 27, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit of God that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of the emperor Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so here we have this movement that's begun. This movement that begins to break barriers. It begins to break the barriers of just this religious group called the Jews, who the story of we read all throughout the Old Testament. The story of God's grace for this people that that there was once not a people, and by God's grace, He he chose them, He adopted them, and now they were a chosen people. And these first Jews were Gentiles. They were simply just like everyone else, but by God's grace, grace he chose them and he adopted them and now they are god's people and the story of them is all throughout the old testament and it's a really cool story because it's an authentic real human story there's a lot of rough ugly places right if if you and i were writing the old testament out in a facebook post a lot a lot of it would get removed because we don't like to put ourselves in that kind of light right we we only post the things where we look really good right watch look at my facebook i'm only i only try to take pictures of myself and my daughters because i look so much better when they're in the picture, right? People say things like, adorable. No one ever said that before they came around. And so it's our human nature to only tell the stories that make us look the best. And this is a really cool story in the Old Testament that, that includes lots of different photos of, of people that really aren't the best. And so the really good news of the Old Testament that begins with the gospel, the good news of Jesus in the New Testament, is not a story of how God maintain his relationship with a perfect people who did everything right but instead it's a story about how god never seems to give up on these people who seem to always get it wrong now i don't know about you but that is incredibly good news that god and his love and his grace and his mercy isn't just for people to have it all figured out instead it's for people who sometimes are even running as far and as fast away from god and god never gives up and the very first story is about this group of people. And if you're, if you're inclined to believe that your circumstances are what you're wrong, then, then the first story in the Bible seems to tell us that even people in the perfect circumstances, like Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, have a tendency to rebel against God. And if I were God, that first story would have been the last. Gave you people everything you want, it's perfect, and then you rebel against me? That's the end of the story. But isn't it amazing? This story continues, and God continues to give second, third, fourth, an innumerable amount of chances to His people because of His love. Not because they're great, but because He is great. And as if that weren't enough, as if it weren't enough that God's chosen people are shown mercy over and over and over by God. Now we have this story about how God's people are now going to have a whole different look to them. That God is going to open up His adoption, not just for a select group of people, but God is choosing now by the mercy of Jesus anyone who hears it, anyone who's stirred by it, anyone who's inspired by it, 
anyone who once was far off and felt distant from God, ever been there, can now be drawn near because of Jesus Christ. And that's taking place right here in this story. But it didn't happen in a pretty way. So let's begin to kind of dig through this. In verse 19, uh, this is a recall back to Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7. It says that the people who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So if you remember, Stephen was this man who was full of wisdom. He was full of the Holy Spirit. But because he was declaring this good news of Jesus and it was creating movement, the religious elite became very angry. And for the first time, instead of just throwing guys in prison, instead of just beating them publicly, they put this guy Stephen to death. They kill him. And as a result of this first believer being put to death publicly, the rest of the people following Jesus became very afraid. And for fear of their own lives, they scattered. They left Jerusalem. Now here's the awesome thing. We remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus commanded to you and to me and to his followers that This good news we're going to witness to not only here in Jerusalem, in home, but in Judea, our surrounding area, and even Samaria, the people we don't like. This good news is for everyone. But up to about Acts chapter 6, the people who heard this good news were being disobedient. And for good reason. It's weird, can we admit, at times, to talk to people about Jesus. Right? And we live in a place where that's actually cool. There's laws in place that, that kind of keep you out of jail if you do talk about Jesus. Right? You, you can do, we're, not, we're not under threat of violence. A lot would have to take place for us to get in trouble for what we're doing here. But it's still kind of weird to talk about Jesus. It's tough. It's not easy. And the same thing is true for these first followers of Jesus. So much so that they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't jump out to those places Jesus commanded them to go. They stayed there in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until finally someone died that they began to scatter. And an amazing thing happened. God used this terrible, awful thing to make Himself famous among people that didn't know that they were loved by God. So the first thing I want you to see in verse 19, it took persecution to force these people to be obedient to God's will. It took the death of a great man like Stephen for them to realize how serious this thing that Jesus had done was. Now they should have known because after all, Jesus' own story ended kind of dark. Jesus, who you would think would be a celebrity and a hero and and people would immediately elect Him, appoint Him, put Him in position of authority and power was actually rejected and betrayed by his own people and publicly humiliated, hung naked, alone on a cross. His friends didn't stand up for him, they hid. And those closest to him kind of stood in a distance. So they shouldn't have been surprised when someone like Stephen died, but, but on the other hand, they stayed where they were. And so my first encouragement to you, look, It doesn't come as natural to us sometimes to talk about matters of faith. Instead, it often becomes an argument, but don't let something tragic happen before we begin to really talk about matters that have eternal value. Don't wait for life-altering, terrible things to happen to begin to consider things of eternal nature. 
If you don't understand what I mean, if you've ever been to a funeral, that there's all of a sudden people want to talk about God. People who, who haven't been a part of a church or a religious at all, all of a sudden begin to cling to something as if they know it and understand it. And my warning to you, don't wait like they did for the death of someone that we love to begin to really think about what happens after death. Don't wait until persecution. Don't wait until tragedy to begin to consider this good news of Jesus and the magnitude it has for our lives. Don't wait because Jesus isn't just something for us that hopefully we go to heaven after we die. This Jesus wants to give us life more abundant right here, right now. Don't wait until that happens. But on the other hand, know that when and if tragedy strikes, God is not surprised. God is not caught off guard. And even though for us that feared phone call that turns our life upside down, even though for us it turns things upside down, for God it doesn't surprise Him. And in fact, He can use the worst of circumstances to make His will come to pass. Also, we see there that someone, someone is going to have to, if if we're going to see the good news change lives, someone is going to have to reach out beyond their comfort zone to do it. Did you catch that that verse there? It says that the persecution scattered the people, but at the end of verse 19, even though they were commanded by Jesus to go boldly and witness to what Jesus had shown them and taught them, it says that they were only speaking to Jews. Did you catch that? They were only speaking to religious people. This is important for who we are as a church, okay? We love the churches in Sioux Falls. We are not in competition with them. We are on the same team with them. And the team is Jesus. And we want Jesus to get famous, not us. But it's easier to get a bunch of people who already believe like you do to join your club, right? People who are already enthusiastic and share your interests, speak your language, look like you do, act like you do, have the same kinds of hobbies. It's easier to get those kinds of people together in a group, but but notice that isn't what Jesus commanded them to do. Someone's going to have to reach outside that group. Some of us are going to have to step out of our comfort zone, not, not because we're special or great, but because Jesus is amazing. And what he has done is too good to keep a secret. And if it would cost us the time and energy to learn another language so that we could speak the good news, friends, it's worth it. If it would cost us the the discomfort of having people that maybe don't have the same look or interest as us into our home so that we could love them and share with them this good news of Jesus, it's worth it. To show grace to one another, even though we believe differently and see the world differently, for the sake of Jesus getting famous, it's worth it. It's really worth it. Skip ahead. Did you, did you catch what happens? People are added. And it mentions this two different times. They came to believe they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And it says in verse 21, they were turned to what? To the Lord. And in verse 24, it says that they were added to what? To the Lord. This is important because as we jump out of our comfort zones to initiate that conversation that may seem weird at first about this good news of what Jesus has done for us, it's going to be weird, but we can go boldly knowing 
that our goal is not to win their favor or win their approval. Our goal is not so that they would turn to us, but our goal is that they would turn to Jesus. Heaven forbid people follow us and be loyal to us more than they're loyal to Jesus. And so we can go boldly. I can, I can say to you, look, this is who Jesus is. And knowing that even if you don't like me, I can pray for grace because in the end, I don't want you to follow me. I can't save you. I can't turn your life around. But I know someone who can. There's a guy named Jesus and he's changed everything. Pick up again in verse 21. We know that we can go because Jesus is with us on the journey. Did did you catch that in verse 21? It said that the hand of the Lord was with them. And because of this, a great number of people believed and they turned to the Lord. This is really cool. This is why it sounds crazy. I believe you're here, not because of me or because of the people around you, even though God might have used that. You're here because of Jesus. God has the power to do things that we can't quite explain. So much so that a year ago, I didn't know any of you people, and you didn't know one another. And amazing grace, God has brought us here and given me a family that I didn't have a year ago. He's he's given me a new family, and I, I didn't have it a year ago. That's not me. That's the hand of the Lord, man. And it says that that hand of the Lord is with us. All this is is Jesus fulfilling His promise. The last thing that He told His disciples before He left, He said, guys, look, go. Go to all the nations and make disciples. Walk in My footsteps and lead them to follow in My footsteps as well. Go to the ends of the earth and baptize them. Baptize them and giving this symbol that we have been buried with Christ and just like Jesus did not stay dead, we don't stay under the water and we don't stay in the grave. Baptize them. Tell them this good news of what I've accomplished. And he says, and lo, this is good King James language, behold, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And we see in this verse, Jesus keeps his promise. But maybe if you're afraid, maybe you find yourself thinking, oh, well, I'm not the person who can jump out and be a pioneer of something. Well, here's good news, and it comes to us in verse 22 and 23. There's a guy who comes along, and because of this report that he hears of the church in Jerusalem, he gets sent, and his name is Barnabas. Now notice, Barnabas didn't start what was happening in Antioch. Barnabas was in Jerusalem. Barnabas wasn't the pioneer of this thing that God began in Antioch. Barnabas just came along to encourage and build them up. So here's good news. If you find yourself, and maybe you're not the extroverted type, and initiating a conversation with Jesus terrifies you, there's good news. You may not be the one that God is calling to jump out and initiate it. Don't use that as an excuse not to talk about Jesus. It feels weird even for extroverts. Trust me. But it's possible that like Barnabas, God may simply be trying to make you aware of what he's doing and call you along for the ride. This guy Barnabas, he wasn't the first one to go to Antioch to talk about Jesus. Someone else did. Someone else began this because of the persecution that scattered them. And yet they brought Barnabas along. There's an, entirely, there's an entire movement based on this really great book called Experiencing God. The big popular thing that in the 80s and the 90s kind of swept uh, the, kind of the, the Christian groups and, and it was written... Uh, by a couple of guys who had this new and awesome idea, and they stole this awesome idea so new from Barnabas. And they simply said, find what God is doing 
get on board. Look around you. If you see God doing something that's mysterious and you can't quite explain it, recognize that God is doing it. And to have seen it is to have heard His invitation to join it. Now, I'll I'll give you the Cliff's notes and I'll give you the cheat sheet for this test. You can look around you in this room. God's doing something. He's brought us here together. He's beginning a movement. He's doing something. And I'm I'm a little biased, obviously, because I get a chance to see this and hear your stories on a regular basis. But I'll give you the cheat sheet. This, This is happening in this room. God is doing this. But God, as He's moving and stirring around us, things and people, as we begin to realize it, take that as God's invitation to join it. You may not have started it, but I promise you, God can use you to bring it along. This guy named Barnabas, he didn't start it. And yet, for some reason, he gets this amazing amount of credit for having come alongside these people, having built them up and encouraged them. Note, not by his gifts and his abilities, but instead by grace of God shown in him. It says that he wasn't like a great speaker. He wasn't a smart guy. It didn't tell us that. It says what? He's full of the Holy Spirit. It gives us his moral qualities. So if you find yourself like in a position where you see God working and maybe you didn't start it, take that as God's invitation to simply jump on board. You have gifts that others do not. And I don't care what the enemy tries to convince you, you are valuable, you are important, and God has endowed into you special gifts that no one around you has. And the people are missing out if you are not a part. So what about the other side? For those of you, maybe, maybe you're more like activators, you're instigators. We also see that in, in verse 26. Apparently, when Barnabas is asked to do this, look what he did. The first thing he did in verse 25, it says, so Barnabas... Or yeah, it says Barnabas went and he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Notice that God didn't command Barnabas to ask Saul, but instead he simply gave a task to Barnabas. And Barnabas' first instinct was one of humility, where he said, I can't do this alone. And he went and found Saul. So a couple of things. You see what God's doing, and you recognize it. You see, okay, God's doing something here, and maybe I'm supposed to be a part of it, but you're afraid to do it, or, or maybe your, na- your natural instinct is to kind of be cautious. Here's what you should do. Ask for help. Don't be afraid to say, hey, come along. God is doing something. I sense that God might be doing something, and I need your help if I'm going to be a part of it. I can't do this on my own. Also, second side of this, take this as I'm standing here right now kind of teaching this story. Take this as my invitation to you. God's doing something, and right now it's called Connection Church. Come help. Come be a part of it. I have seen lives changed over the last six months in a way that I can't describe. I can't explain it. I've seen God speak to people and do some amazing things. And we're going to get a chance to celebrate it in the next few days uh, or in the next, next few months. We're going to get a chance to, to baptize someone um, and a few people who are going to see new life in Christ and make that public in baptism, um, it's going to be tricky because we're going to have to figure out how the school will let us like put water in a tub uh, here. We have to do it outside, right? We have a lot of interesting little things. God's doing that. I'm not doing that. You're not doing that. God's doing that. And so take this as my invitation. Be a part of what God's doing, man. And if, and, and if you find yourself going, no, th- these people are nuts, that's fine. There's another group of nutty Christians somewhere in this city, and God's using them. 
Jump on board with that. God's working. Sense it. Ask someone for help. And take this as my invitation to be a part of what God's doing. Verse 26, look what he did. It says that when he found this Saul, remember Saul is green. Saul is a brand new believer. He has just had this amazing conversion experience. He saw Jesus on the road, but he's green. And what is it that Barnabas did? It says he found him and he brought him to Antioch. And then for an entire year, they encouraged and they taught and they led this church. Okay, so ask for help, but also invest in someone. Invest in someone. This, this church began to take life and, and experience amazing things. And we'll see in a couple chapters, this church actually gets so healthy that they do what we want to do one day. They get so healthy in, verse thir- in chapter 13, they actually start another ministry. They want to start another church. They don't want to keep this good news of Jesus to themselves. They want, they want more people to do it. Instead of being the mega church of Antioch, they send off their best leaders so they can start another church. I, that's my prayer. I hope we're that selfless. But it starts because this Barnabas invested in a guy named Saul, who later writes almost the entirety of this New Testament. So think back, even just just to be inspired, think back. Is there someone who went out of their way and invested in you? Is there someone who like spent an inordinate amount of time with you? Maybe who showed you great patience, and for some reason they just wanted to teach you and lead you? I have so many spiritual fathers and mothers who encouraged me. For lack of a better phrase, they just didn't give up on me. Well, guess what? We can do the same thing. We can be a part of what God's doing by simply looking around us, finding the people around us, asking for help, or investing into the people that might need it. By the grace of God, maybe just don't give up on them. Who knows, they might end up actually seeing the light and God might change their heart. And if you don't believe it, you're staring at living proof of people who did not give up on me. Invest in someone. And you'll see what happens in verse 26. When you, when you do these things, and I don't want you to think I've made these up, I want you to show this is, this is something we can imitate. This is something we can do. And, and when we follow these kinds of things shown here in these verses, this is what happens in verse 26. It says, They taught the church, and then it says they taught, as a result, a great many people. And then what happened in Antioch? These followers of Jesus began to get a label. A label that people use today. And that label that was given to those people was Christian. Literally, at the time, it meant little Jesus. Christians, little Jesuses. They started living, loving, sharing in such an amazing, unselfish, and powerful way that people saw them and they go, those people look like Jesus. They're like little, little Jesuses, little, little Christians. Amazing, amazing. When you do this, you begin to look like something more amazing. And God bring the day when people look at the generosity shown amongst this group of people, and they go, you know who that reminds me of? That reminds, that reminds me of a story I once heard about a guy named Jesus. That's the end goal, and this is what happens in verse 27. 
when we start to look like Jesus, then all of a sudden we start to give like Jesus. It says that a need arose, and it says Agabus stood up, this prophet came, and he says by the Holy Spirit, there's a famine coming. Some people are going to be in need. And what is the response of these first followers of Jesus in verse 29? They determined, every single one of them, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers. Now go back a step. Remember, we've got a couple different dynamics to this group. I'm going to kind of close on it. So there's a couple different dynamics in this group. Remember, we're after the bacon chapter, so the people we're hearing about now are people not religious, not Jews. They're considered unclean. They're considered like the people, just like a pig wallowing in their you-know-what. That's what these people are considered. And now they've heard this good news of Jesus, that, that Jesus doesn't look at them that way. Jesus has no partiality. Jesus has died for all people that they could have new life, that their lives could be saved, that their marriages, their relationships, their entire eternity could be saved. But these are people who are not religious. And so if there was anyone who, who might have a reason to kind of discriminate against these religious people who are now in need in Jerusalem, it'd be this, these people, right? What an amazing thing Jesus did. When Jesus changed their heart, He removed, removed the instinct for aggression and revenge and He replaced it with generosity and selflessness. Don't miss who we're talking about here. Did, did you catch it? The, the prophet came from Jerusalem, where the Jews are, to Antioch, where the not-Jew Christians are. Right? And he tells these people, hey, the Jews, the people following Jesus who are, who are Jews, they're in need. And instead of realizing, oh man, those people don't like us. Those people... Those people discriminated against us. Those people didn't let us into their, into their club. Those people have not shown kindness to us. What did these people do? They said, you know what? We've got to help them. The last thing I think you see when, when we begin to walk in Jesus' footsteps, our entire economy changes. You see, we live currently in an economy of scarcity. But when we're dealing in God's grace, there is never scarcity. There is only abundance. His mercies, even if you wasted them and used them yesterday, are new again today. The good news of Jesus and the way that that transforms us changes the way we measure our time, our energy, and even by Jesus' own words, God forbid, our money. We are standing here thinking in terms of of generosity in a time when the rest of the world is planning for scarcity. The economy is not conducive to people giving generously and investing in things that seem to have no return. And yet it seems here in the same, same scenario, about to be a turn for the worst, there's about to be an economic downturn and it will end up being a famine. And instead of thinking, guys, there's a famine coming, let's hoard up our resources for ourselves. What did they do? They said, man, there's a famine coming. We better, we better help. And so there's a real way that we, we take part in this every single week. We take up an offering. It seems so archaic, but here's why. It's not out of guilt. We do not give out of guilt. Do you know why? Because the guilt offering's already been paid by Jesus. 
We don't give sin offerings. You know why? Because the sin offering has been paid by Jesus. We don't give because we're obligated, because our obligations to God have been met by Jesus. And so as a result, now we can give of our time, resources, money, energy, and in this case, invest even in people around us, relationally and emotionally. We can give so freely and generously because ultimately the gift has already been given to us with such great abundance that we've got stuff in excess. We don't give out of guilt, and when we pass this plate, it's just an opportunity to connect with people and Sometimes we, we put it somewhere and we pass it around. And if, if I could just use this as an opportunity to step on a soapbox for just a minute, never give to Connection Church out of guilt. Never give to anything out of guilt. Instead, declare that your guilt has been taken away by Jesus. And as a result, we can be free. We can give generously to what God is doing. Never, ever, ever, this is really something I hope you preach back at me, Never blame your lack of generosity on hard times. They were facing hard times that they knew were coming, and instead of using it as an opportunity to be stingy and hoard for themselves, they saw the hard times coming as an opportunity to demonstrate God's love in a tangible and real way. And as a result, people... We're reminded of who? Jesus. So here's my prayer for us. God has done something for us in Jesus Christ that has changed the world. So much so that this movement that began in these few chapters is carrying on even today here in this elementary school as well as in other buildings calling themselves churches in people's basements and homes. It's carrying on even now. This is a big deal. God's done it. It's changed everything. And if you find yourself thinking, that's crazy, I don't believe that, you're in good company. You're, you're allowed to have skepticism over that. But I want you to begin to open your eyes to the possibility that God is doing something and the fruit of it is the generosity of people around you. People who got up this morning really early to do something simple like, I don't know, set up a stage and set up a sound system. Could have slept in. But you're seeing the fruit of generosity, aren't you? Some other churches heard about what God's doing in Sioux Falls, and for instance, they've even bought the sound system. They bought it for us. It's the fruit of generosity, not scarcity. God is doing something. It's, it's all around us. And if you're skeptical about this whole Jesus thing, I want to show you all the ways in which God's grace is being made evident. God is changing lives around us. But I also pray that as we look to what this might have appeared to be, we kind of see what it looked like to follow Jesus, we begin to follow suit. We begin to realize that there are people around us that maybe we can ask for help. There are people that God is calling to be a part of this movement who I can only guess a year from now, we will look back to this moment and be like, wow, God started a movement. God did something. And we will have invested in them. We will have asked them for help. We will have loved them. And maybe even if the opportunity presents itself, we will have shown generosity to them. And as a result, my prayer, I know it's crazy, but by God's grace, it may be possible, someone, it's crazy, someone might see us and go, you know how that looks like? That looks like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for how good you are. Uh, we thank you so much that... Uh, that you're inviting us to, to cross 
barriers and step outside of our comfort zone, uh, not out of guilt, but because you've already demonstrated that for us. Uh, We know that you have shown us that you emptied yourself to be present with us in the form of a human. We know that you've shown us that. So we ask that you would begin to bless that here. If there's someone here, maybe they've never heard that good news and and they're skeptical about this whole Jesus thing, maybe today they begin to be inspired by the people around them and the generosity shown to them, and they would begin to see, wow, God is adopting a group of people into His family, and He's not stopping. Maybe they would be inspired by that and begin to respond to it. For the rest of us, God, we, we thank You for this good news shown to us in Jesus, and we ask that we would simply respond obediently, uh, that we would begin to give of our time and effort, and we would be open so that when we sense the need and we see that you're doing something, we will understand that that is your way of inviting us to join. When we sense the need and we sense the movement, we will know that we've been invited to take part. So we thank you for that. We thank you for that opportunity. We ask that we would respond obediently. In the name of Jesus, amen.